Before we get into tonight's sermon, I do have to give a full disclosure. Um, I did talk to your pastor, Pastor David, about um, really what I was preaching about specifically. I kind of gave him my texts and themes. And so I'm not preaching today's sermon because he told me something, or I know your financial status, or he told he gave me an Excel spreadsheet of who gives what. Um, and because the reason why I say that is because I'm going to be talking about money. And I'm not going to get kicked back for this. Um, this is not something to guilt trip you, but I do know it's an important topic. And I know it's a topic that many churches don't talk about because it can be uncomfortable. But it's probably the most important issue for the American church. How you handle, how you view, and how you use your money will determine a lot of things in your life. You see, money is a spiritual matter, but we're going to see. And so with that, I wanted to focus on one text, and then we're going to jump around a little bit. But if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Matthew chapter 6, starting on verse 19. And so as we go through this topic of money today, if you feel like I'm sub-tweeting you, I'm not. I don't know any of you. I don't know your situation. If you feel like it's directed at you, maybe that's God telling you something, but not me. So just wanted to give you that disclosure before I get to today's text. It is going to be a little challenging uh, talking about this issue. Um, Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we um, tackle the important topic of money, the challenging topic of money, I pray that you would help us to be teachable, uh, to help us to be willing to listen, and to be honest with how we view our money. Lord, if money has a tight grip of any one of us here, I pray that you would help us to let go of that grip, that you would help us to surrender the desire we have for money, and that we will use the money the way that you intended for your gospel and for your kingdom. I pray that all of us would be people marked by generosity because you have been generous towards us. Because you've given us your son, something more valuable than money. Help us in response to the gospel, be generous and be willing to give our money to your kingdom. Be with me now and I pray that my words may be yours and that we may together uh, be convicted by the Spirit on how you want us to examine and to use the money that we do have. We thank you and praise in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So the past two sermons I've been talking about how we spend our time. How do you spend your time at church or as a church body? And how do you spend your time at work? Right, and so what we concluded was that you go to church to work and you go to work to be the church. And that's the resource all of us have. We all have time. And that's what God wants us to use for his kingdom, for his gospel, to expand his kingdom. 
But there's a second resource that we all have. All of us, some more than other, others, all of us have money. And money, just like our time, is a spiritual matter. How we spend it, what we use it, why we want it, matters to God. See, the reason I think a lot of churches shy away from talking about money is that we think money is a secular matter. That's something for businesses to take care of. That's something for governments to figure out. That's something where people who are into budgets need to talk about. But the church, we're all about spiritual matters. But what I would argue is that there's no such thing as a secular matter. Every matter is a spiritual matter. In fact, money is probably the most important spiritual matter according to Jesus. Did you know that Jesus talked more about money than he did about love. When I first heard that, I didn't believe the pastor. So I looked up Bible Gateway, I typed in love, I looked at and counted all the passages, and I looked at money or mammon, and I looked at all the passages, and he was right. Jesus talks more about money than he does about love. In fact, of the 39 parables that Jesus gives, 11 of them are about money. He talks more about money than he does about heaven and hell combined. Now, we have to ask ourselves, why is Jesus so concerned about money? Is he obsessed about money? Does he just want to get rich? I mean, what's he trying to do? Trying to build this crazy mega church? What's his motivation here? And here's the, right, here's the reason why Jesus talks about money. Jesus uses the word mammon or money, and he uses the word God to describe money. He doesn't use that for any other idol. We saw today's passage where he says you cannot serve God and money. In other words, for Jesus, the number one competitor to his throne, the number one idol that he sees in people's heart from all of history, from all of time, is money. And so the reason why Jesus talks so much about it is because he knows us so well. He knows what entices us. He knows what gets us distracted. He knows what we think about. He knows what we worry about. And everything that we stress about, think about, worry about, desire, for most of us, is centered around money. It's what money can give us, it's what money provides, it's the security it gives us, it's the prestige it gives us, it's the freedom it gives us. All of us are consumed by money. And especially in America. American Christians today are the richest Christians of all time. And so when we look at the topic of money, what we're going to see is not about how much money you have or how much money you don't have. See, God doesn't have a problem with you being rich or you being poor, but what he does have a problem is, is with your control by money. It's not about how much you have, it's how you manage it. It's how you use it. And so let me uh, start with this. Let's look at what Jesus said when he talked about money. <clears throat> Let's look at the perspective on money. Focus on Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 with me. Jesus said here, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, during this time, slaves were very common. And it's not the type of slaves we had in American history. Most of these slaves were not forced to be slaves. They weren't brought from Africa or some other nation and was put into this hard work. A lot of people chose to be slaves. And the reason why a lot of people chose to be slaves is because they owed a person a lot of money they couldn't pay off. So it was like an indentured servitude. And so what happened was that a lot of people became workers, employees of other people. And so during this time, about a third of the population were slaves, and they all understood Jesus' language when he's talking about masters. All of them would have the same question in their mind. When you are talking about a master, the whole question comes down to this, 
who is your master? Because some people have very loving masters, where their masters treated them like a family member. Some slaves were even treated like another son, where they even got an inheritance later on in life. But some slaves had a horrible master, an abusive master, a master that we would imagine from the movies where they just whip them and hit them and treat them unfairly. So during this time, people, when they're listening to Jesus, most of these people probably had a master. And so Jesus uses that language to make a point about money, and this is what he says. You cannot serve two masters. And everybody in that culture would agree. You're correct. You can't serve two masters because two masters have competing agendas. You'll be pulled in two different directions. You see, Jesus says all of us have God as our master. We are indebted to him. Because he paid the price for our sins through the blood of Christ, we owe a huge amount of debt to him that we cannot repay. So by definition, we are God's slaves. And so Jesus assumes we understand as Christians, we are God's slaves. He is our master. He has an agenda. He wants our devotion. But the problem is that many of us are serving a second master. Many of us have another master that's pulling us away from God, that's telling us a different agenda, that's making us live a different life that God wants us to live. And he calls the second master mammon or money. Now mammon literally is not just money. Mammon referred to possessions, cows, uh, you know, other servants. It's pretty much everything that you own. And so a better translation I like to use is stuff. Your stuff, everything that you have, everything that, that, that you buy, everything that you own, that, everything that is, that is yours, that is your stuff. Jesus is saying that every Christian struggles between serving two masters. They serve God on the one hand because they know they owe God, but they also serve their stuff. And their stuff tells them a different agenda than God tells them. Their stuff is making them make decisions or taking jobs or doing certain things that God would never want them to do. You see, notice what he asks here. He says, either he will hate the one or love the other. Notice the language he used, hate the one or love the other. Now, you might be thinking, Jesus, that's extreme language. Yeah, I love my stuff. I love my house, my car. You know, I love the job and the, the salary that I get, but I, that doesn't mean I hate God, right? Just because I love nice things doesn't mean I hate God. So how can you say I hate one and love the other? Well, there, let me explain to you what he means by hate. Jesus often uses the word love and hate as a way to, uh, to make a comparison. So he's not saying that you literally hate God if you love stuff, but he is making it as a way to show a comparison how you should view your money. Let me give you an example. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus said this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So is he saying that you should go out and kill your mother, kill your father, kill your brother? No, 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 that's not what he's saying. He's not saying go out and hate your family. Obviously, he wants you to love your family. But what he is saying is that your love for your family, even for yourself, in comparison to your love for Christ, better look like hate. In other words, you better love God so much that your love for your family and yourself pales in comparison. It's not even a competition. It looks like hate. So bringing that same analogy here, this is what Jesus is saying. You cannot serve two masters. If you 
love your stuff, you're going to hate God. If you love God, you're going to hate your stuff. In other words, your love for God better be so much superior than your love for your stuff. But if it's not, what that means is that you're serving two masters. You're being pulled in two different directions. This is why Jesus asked this, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. The issue is commitment. So it's not about that you have an emotional hate for God, but it's that, that you're not as committed to God as you should be because you're also committed to your stuff, to getting more stuff, to getting more money. You see, you cannot be devoted towards two masters at the same time equally. You have to choose one. You will love one, and by definition, by loving one, you will hate the other. Because in comparison to your devotion to that one master, you don't have enough room in your life to be devoted to a second master. That is Jesus' point. He's making comparison. Now, at this point, you guys might be a little skeptical. You're thinking, man, Jesus, you kind of sound like a communist hippie. I mean, what is this? Like, can't have stuff? Like, what? If we can't make money, are you anti-capitalistic? What's going on, Jesus? But I think Jesus is getting at a very important point here. Because let me do a little thought experiment with you. If you are thinking, well, I love God. I love my stuff. So, okay, Jesus, good sermon. Let's move on. Let me do an experiment to show you that you might love your stuff more than you realize. <clears throat> think about the last time you made a major life decision. Maybe it was the college you're choosing to go to, the job you're choosing to take, the city you decide to live. Think about one of the major life decisions you made. Okay? Now think about all the factors that you consider. This college has good sports. This college doesn't have good sports. This college, I like the colors. This college, I don't like the colors. I like this apartment. I don't like this apartment. I like this type of house. I like this color. All the different factors that you consider whether it's where you want to live, where you want to go to school, what kind of job you want to take. I guarantee there's one factor we all thought about. How much does this job pay when we choose a job? How much does this house cost or this apartment cost? And how much does the school cost? And I bet a lot of us make decisions based on that factor alone. Where even in our heads we knew this might not be the best job for me, but pays the most. This might not be the best apartment or use of money or house, but it's the nicest and I want it. This might not be the best school for me, but I, I like the name of that school. Whether it's your house, whether it's your job, whether it's your school, whether it's your stuff, all of us think about money. Now let me rewind again. When you made that decision, that life decision, how many of you made that decision based on your devotion to God? How many of you chose a school because you're thinking about how you were going to serve God at that school or the churches around that school? How many of you chose your job because you're thinking about the people you could share the gospel with at that job? How many of you chose a house or a neighborhood based on how you would devote your house and neighborhood in order to reach people for God? Are you starting to see that there's one master that seems to pop up in our decision making more than the other? See, Jesus is a very smart man, and he is, because he's God, right? He knows our heart. And so he's not just saying this to be flippant, or just saying it to be mean, but he's saying it because it's true. We are devoted to our stuff, whether we realize it or not. We make decisions based on our stuff. 
And even our future life goals and plans are, are determined by what kind of stuff we will get, what kind of lifestyle we will get, what kind of money we will have, or what city we will live in. See, I even know of a couple who refuse to have children because they know how much money it costs to raise children. They don't want to decrease their lifestyle. People are sacrificing a lot of things in the name of their stuff. Whether it's to start a family, whether it's to go to a certain church, whether it's to live in a certain city, whether it's to take a certain job, even though it costs more hours and it sacrifices their time with family, people take that promotion. Whether it's, it's getting a nicer car, even if it means they don't have enough money to give to other people, people take that nicer car. You see, our stuff demands more and more and more. Money is a horrible master, but it makes a wonderful servant. And the problem that we have is that money is controlling us more than we are controlling money. Money is not serving us, we are serving money. And Jesus says when you are serving money, you will inevitably be less committed and less devoted to God. It's inevitable. At some point, you're going to be stretched so far, you have to make a decision. So you guys may be wondering this book, okay, how do I know then? How do I know if money is my master or if money is serving me, right? How do I know if money is controlling me or money is not? Well, I want you to notice what Jesus adds in verse 25. This is the key here. This is how he says you can know if you are serving money. Notice what he says in verse 25. Therefore, that's concluding what he just said in verse 24. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. If you want to know if money is your master, he says, then look at your contentment level. Are you content or are you constantly anxious and worried? Back in verse 19, he says, earthly treasures do not last, so invest in heavenly treasures. Back in verse 23, he says that focusing on money, having your vision set on money will blur your morality. And here he says, since you have to make a decision between God and money, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. In other words, if you choose God, you will not be anxious. If you choose money, you will always be anxious. Because money will never give you full security. Only God can give you that. Now, if you want to know if money is your master, if you're content or anxious, let me do a, a little thought experiment for you guys. You guys are probably thinking, I'm pretty content. I'm not anxious. I'm okay. I'm not discontent. I love uh, you know, all my stuff, but it's not doesn't own me. So nice try, Jesus, but move on. I'm not one of these people. Okay, let me do an experiment, all right? <clears throat> Imagine that you guys go back to work, and your boss says to you, tomorrow, Write any number you want on a paper for how much you want to get paid. I don't care. Sky's the limit. Write down a number of how much you think you need to live and to be happy and content. How much would that number be? How big of a salary? Some of you guys are getting smiles, right? Just imagine if your boss said, we had a surplus of money. So whatever it takes for you to live and be content and happy, write that number down. So I want you guys to think of that number. If you want, write it down. If you want, give it to me and I'll read it out loud. I'm kidding. No. But think of that number. Think of that number. How much would it take for you to stop worrying about money, to stop worrying about your future? How much money do you have to make every year? Now, you know how I know most of us are a little discontent? I bet you the number you thought of 
was higher than the number you currently make. I mean, maybe some of you guys are super holy, so I make too much, I'll give me less, right? No, I think all of us thought of a number that was higher, some more than others. And this is what I'm getting at, that this is the answer we think, this is what we think is the answer to our discontentment and our anxiety. We think the answer is more. All I need is a little bit more. Then I'll be secure. Then I'll have peace. Then I won't worry. God, if you just give me a little bit more, then I won't worry about my kids' future so much. God, if you just give me a little bit more, then I don't have to worry about how to pay rent or pay more. Just more. That's all I need is more. More. Whether you make 30, 50, 80, 100, 200, 300, I bet you your number was more or higher than what you currently make. And what that tells us is that we all are a little discontent with what we make and with the stuff that we have. But you know what Jesus says? The, the, the key to being content and the key to not being anxious is not to look at how to get more. The key is to learn how to manage. It's when you learn how to manage what you already have, that's how you become content. That's how you find true security. That's how you find peace. When you know how to manage the money you already have, instead of looking for more. How do we manage our money so that it doesn't manage us? Jesus says the solution is to be content. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about what you, how you pay your bills. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what kind of car you're going to have. Learn to be content. And you know what the main hurdle is to why we are not content? You know why so many of us are not content? I think especially for Americans and in our social media age, it's we have too much awareness. How many times were you guys completely fine with your iPhone until the new iPhone had a promotion, right? Oh, whoa, iPhone 8, mine, all of a sudden mine doesn't work, right? Or how many guys were totally fine with your car until your friend got that new car? Wait, oh, actually, actually I don't think my car works anymore. I think I might need a better car. How many of you guys were totally fine with what you had until you started to see what everyone else had? This is why social media creates so much discontentment. Everyone is looking at everyone else's highlight reel, but you're not seeing their struggles. You're not seeing that it doesn't really make them happy, but it looks like it makes them happy. We think, as long as I have that, if I can have that, then I'll be happy. You know how they say it's never a good idea to go grocery shopping when you're hungry? Because you end up buying more than you need? It's not a good idea to look at other people's stuff too much. Because you're going to want to have more than you need. You see, one of the issues is awareness and comparison. We're so aware of what everyone else has. And keeping up with the Joneses, all of a sudden, what we are so content with, we become discontent. I see this with my son, Zachary, all the time. If I give him a tiny toy, he's completely happy for an hour until his friend comes over with a bigger toy, and then he wants that bigger toy. And then he's all of a sudden throws that toy. It's not good enough for him. Why? Because he became aware that there's something better for him. See, here's the thing I want to uh, tell you to summarize. The more you are aware of what you could have, the more discontent you become with what you do have. You know who some of the happiest people I've ever met in my life were? I did a medical admissions trip to Guatemala. And in this village, it was like very, very poor villagers. Literally, the, the, they lived in a place that only had three walls and no roof, no mattress, no toilet. It was literally dirt. 
didn't have TV, didn't have radio, didn't have shoes. We had to bring shoes as donations from our church. But you know what I saw? They were all so happy. The kids were running around smiling, laughing. The parents were having so much fun with their kids. And you know why? It's not because they're smarter than us. It's not because they're holier than us. It's just because they're not as aware as we are of what they could have. Because the minute you know what you could have, you become discontent with what you do have. And so being content is a discipline. It's not something that happens passively. You have to fight to temptation to want more stuff. You have to force yourself not to look at what everybody else has and to compare it to your life. Because trying to accumulate more possessions and stuff is like trying to satisfy hunger by taping sandwiches all over your body. You think you're making progress by getting more stuff, but you're not addressing your heart issue. Only God can make you happy. Only God can make you content. And the more stuff you get, it actually reveals your discontentment even more. See, this is the way Paul said, talked about contentment. Contentment doesn't happen passively. You have to learn how to be content. Like this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, Not that I'm speaking of being a need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Notice, learned to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. In other words, contentment must be learned. It's a discipline. You got to force yourself initially and fight the desire for more stuff. And so what is the perspective on money Jesus wants us to have? He doesn't care how much you make. Nothing wrong with making a lot of money. But what he does care about is your contentment level. How content are you with what I have given you already? Are you so discontent, you're so anxious with getting more and more and more, even though you know deep down that won't satisfy your desires? That's the perspective about money. But let me transition to some principles about money. So how do we, um, make, how do we figure out a way to be content about money? And what principles should we implement? Well, here's a principle I want to give to you. First, money is a test. See, if money shouldn't be our master, then what should money be? Money is actually a test. How we use our money reveals what is in our heart. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus says that if you want to know what you really desire in life, what your greatest desires are, look at your checkbook and credit card statement. You see, back in verse 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So whatever you place your money in, that is what you value. And also, if you shift all your money into something, you're going to start valuing that. For example, if you guys put your life savings into a bunch of Apple stock, you're going to care a lot more about how Apple's doing starting tomorrow, right? See, that's Jesus' point. Wherever you move your money, your heart follows that. So if you put all your money in Apple stock, you're going to start to love Apple, care about Apple. So if you want to have an assessment of what, I, what do you love today, what is controlling your decisions, what is making you obsessed today, look at your bank statement. What are you spending your money on? Is it constantly keeping up with a better house? And maybe that's your obsession. That's what you love. It's about eating out and having a certain lifestyle. Maybe that's your obsession. You see, the issue is not that.
that having money is a bad thing. The issue is when you start to love money and money reveals that test. It shows where your heart is before God. This is the way Paul said it to, to, in 1 Timothy 6.10. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. You see, money is not the problem. He didn't say the root of all evil is money. What do you say? The root of all evil is the love of money. Having money is not a problem. Having no money is not a problem. It's when money controls you that becomes a problem. It's because the issue is not what you have or how little you have. It's how do you manage the money God has given you. There's a, it's a test. It's a test of your heart. But secondly, money also is a tool. You see, if money is not supposed to control us and be our master, then what are we supposed to do with our money? Jesus says, use it as a tool. You see, money can be a great blessing or it can be a source of great curses, right? I mean, think about it in your lives. Have you guys been very blessed by other people giving you money, especially in times of need? See, money's not a bad thing. Money can do a lot of good in this world. Money can relieve, uh, release people from poverty. Money can bless people with gifts. Money can help build up churches and pastors. Money is a very good thing when it's used properly. But when you don't view money as a tool and you view it as a master, you start misusing the tool that God intended for you. The way I think about it is this. Imagine if you owned a hammer. A hammer is a neutral item. It's a tool. There's nothing evil about a hammer, and there's nothing good about a hammer. It all depends on how you use it. If someone wants to take the hammer and smash someone in the head, they could do that as an evil tool. But if someone wants to use that hammer and build somebody a house, they could do that with that tool. See, money is a tool. It's not evil. It's not good. It all depends on how do you use it. What happens is that some of us are using money as a tool in ways God never meant to be used. Some of us are taking that hammer instead of using it to hammer hammers, we're using it to scratch our back. It's such a waste. And, and money wasn't meant to scratch our materialistic itch. It was made and given to us so that we can use it to bless other people the way God has blessed us. Money is a tool. It's not meant to just inflate your lifestyle. It is meant to channel through you so that you can be a blessing to others. This is the way Jesus said in Luke chapter 16. <clears throat> he said this in another story or a parable. He says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been unfaithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Do you notice what Jesus says before he gets to the conclusion? How you use money will determine whether you will get more money to be used. Do you notice that? He says it's a tool. So if you know how to manage money well, God will give you more to manage because he can trust you with it. But if you don't know how to manage your money and you're selfish with it, why will God give you more? All right, think about it with my kids. I mean, I love my sons and I will do anything for them, but I'm not going to give them more than they should have because I'm not going to spoil them rotten. I'm only going to give them what they can handle at any point. So I'm not going to give them our whole savings accounts this year, do what you want with it. Once they build up credibility and show me that I can trust that they can manage it well and not use it for, to buy 10,000 million candies, then I'll give them more. 
Right? That's the same principle Jesus says. You, once you learn how to serve God and love God first, God will give the money as you need it. In fact, God will give you more than you need because he knows he can trust you with it. He knows you're a good manager of it. He knows you're not just going to keep hoarding and hoarding and hoarding, but you're going to use it as a hammer as it should be, and you're going to build up walls for other people. But why in the world will God give you more money if he knows you're going to be selfish with it? That is not a loving thing to do. A loving father won't give a Lamborghini to their child that they know they're just going to crash it. See, money can be a blessing, but money can be a curse. All depends on how you use it. Money is a test, and money is a tool. See, God has no problem giving you money to manage, but he has a problem when your money is beginning to manage you. You know, I know... I think last year there was a huge lotto back in Texas. I think it went up to like $900 million. Were you guys part of that? It was like a billion dollars. And I, I know there's, you know, a lot of us that was like, think like, yeah, I know money's not the answer. I know, you know, I should serve money, but God, let me be the test case, right? Make me the winner and I'll show you how to, I'll use this money for you. I will build up like 10 million churches with a million dollars. You know what God was saying to that prayer? If you're selfish with the money you already have, why in the world would I give you a billion dollars? If you can't manage the few thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars you have now, why would I give you more and spoil you and make you more selfish? Money is a test. Money is a tool. It all depends on how you use it. And when you learn how to manage your money well, God won't trust you with more. Because he knows that you're not using money because you're serving money. You're using money as a tool to bless others. So finally, let me give you some practical steps with money. So, you guys might be wondering, oh, well, how do I manage money well? Are there principles or things in the Bible that God kind of tells us what we should do with money? And I will say, yes, there is. And let me show you a few passages. The first thing God will want you to do with your money is to learn how to give it away. He wants you to learn how to give your money to be generous. And the way God wants you to give your money, He wants you to give it cheerfully, not out of compulsion. Look at what He writes in 2 Corinthians 7. He said, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, giving money to the church is not a tax you have to pay. Right? He doesn't want you to give out of compulsion, obligation. He doesn't want you to give money to him because he needs the money or he will love you less. He wants you to learn how to be cheerful and generous. He wants money not to be an obligation. He wants money to be a joy to give for you. You see, money is not a salvation issue, but money is a reflection issue. How we spend our money will reflect the Father's heart. And he wants us to be generous because he is a generous God. Just like I want my sons to be generous, so I am generous towards them. You see, God modeled generosity to us so that we can follow his footsteps. And the reason why he does that is because he's telling us that's the secret to life. When you learn how to be generous and give money to God, the church, and other people, that actually gives you more joy. Jesus says it is more cheerful to give than to receive. That's not his way to get to fund the church. That's literally the truth. He's saying it's better to give than to receive. And if you haven't felt that joy, it's because you haven't given sacrificially and cheerfully. But secondly, when you give your money to God, 
He also adds this, give systematically. In 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul writes, On the first day of every week, which is a Sunday, each of you is to put, aside, put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. In other words, he's saying, whenever you meet on the first day of the week on Sunday, determine to set aside some money systematically to give to the gospel ministry. And the reason why you have to give systematically and it's because you're not going to end up giving if you don't do it that way. Right? If you kind of give based on emotions or circumstances, we can always find a reason not to give. Well, you didn't know I had a huge, you know, my muffler just went out, so what do you expect me to do? I can't do it this month. Well, this big bill, the tuition bill came up this month, I can't do it. You know, this is a reason why putting your bills on auto pay is a smart thing, because it forces you to get used to not having that money when you just learn how to give it systematically. And Paul's saying the same thing. You need to learn how to give cheerfully to the church and to God, but you also need to do it systematically. Not just haphazardly based on emotion, what you feel like. You set aside, you determine a proportion of your income of what you will give as a sign of, of gratitude towards God. Again, this is not a tax. This is not a church tax. This is not a salvation issue. This is not even that God will love you less issue. This is just something God wants for your life. This is for you, ultimately. See, when you learn how to give your money, it changes you. God doesn't need your money. Right, when I make Zach give me a dollar for Christmas or for my birthday, it's for his benefit. I don't need his dollar. That's my dollar anyways, right? See, it's like, it's all of God's money anyways. He doesn't need you to give it back to him, but he wants you to go through that exercise because it's a sign of generosity and trust. It's a way to show that God, I trust you to manage my money better than I can. And so when I tell my sons, give me your money, I'll manage it for you, I'll invest it for you. It's a sign of trust when they can let go of that control. So the first thing you should do, principle, or the first principle for money is to give to be generous. Give to God, give to the church, give to others. But secondly, save to be free. The reason why it's so important to save your money is because when you go into debt, you start to have a new master. Debt is a very demanding master. If you got student loan debt or credit card debt, you know they're not very forgiving if you miss those payments. This is the way Proverbs 22 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the lender. Whoever you borrow money from because you didn't save money for yourself, you end up becoming a slave to that person. Even if it's from a family member, Dinners are not quite the same anymore because now the family relationship changed into employer-employee relationship. You owe that person money. And at some point, you have to pay it back. The average American spends 110% of their income, which means that we don't have a money problem, we have a spending problem. We're spending money we don't have on stuff we don't need to impress people we don't even like, Ramsey says. See, we spend more than we have. And so the way that you can give to God and to other people is you have to create margins in your budget to learn how to save. Live below your means. You see, you're not entitled to any lifestyle. Your lifestyle is determined by your income. You're not entitled to a $100,000 lifestyle if you don't have $100,000 a year. And so that's the big danger of being aware of other people. Well, if that person can have that car, I'm entitled to that car. No, you aren't. 
Your income determines the lifestyle. And you shouldn't spend everything that you make. You should learn how to create margins to save so that you can, have, you can get out of debt and learn how to be generous with your money. But finally, I would say the last step after you learn how to save, I mean give after you learn how to save, is then learn how to live on what remains. Live on what remains after you've given to God and the church and others, and after you save some money for your future retirement or to create buffers in your income or your budget. Finally, learn how to live with what remains. Learn how to be content with the rest of the world. You know what that means for some of us? This might mean that we have to adjust our lifestyle expectations. Because you guys might be thinking through your budget, especially you're working, well, if I give a certain proportion to the church, if I give a certain amount to save or to pay off debt, I can't live off the rest. And I'll say, you're right, you can't live off the rest of the way you're living, which means you have to change the way you live. You might not be able to get a new car whenever you want. You might have to get a used car. You might not be able to get the iPhone every two years. You might have to wait four years or buy used on prices. You might not be able to go on that fancy trip every year. You might have to just bum it up and go camping once in a while. Your lifestyle expectation changes and is determined by what remains. And here's a problem that I think a lot of us have. We change the order, don't we? Instead of giving first and saving and living, we live first, we try to save the remains, and then when it's time to give at church, we just pull out a dollar, if we have that, maybe, right? Friday night, paychecks here, spend, 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 spend. It's like, oh, shoot, I have some credit card debt. Maybe I should pay some of that off. And then Sunday comes around, like, whoops, ran out. We misarrange the orders because we prioritize living more than we do saving and giving. And that's the problem we have. We all have, myself included, because the average Christian in America only gives 3% of their income to God. Which means, again, whether we realize it or not, money might be our master because we are using that money for ourselves first before we even consider how to use it for God and for others. And so give, save, and then live. And learn to be content with what you have. And you know that's the secret to a happy life, according to Paul. Remember what he said in Philippians, the secret I have discovered the secret. I had a lot of money when he was a Pharisee. He was very rich. He had not that much money when he was a tent maker. And he said, you know what? I discovered a secret to life. The secret to life is to learn how to be content. So if God gave me a lot, well, I'll give more to God. I'll save more, and I'll live on some of it. But if God gives me a little, well, I'll still give to God, save some of it, and I'll just learn how to live less. You see, it doesn't change. You don't get excused for not giving or saving just because your income changes. God says prioritize your money the way I want you to prioritize it. Manage it the way I want you to manage it. I didn't just give you your money just so you can keep having a certain lifestyle. I gave you the money so that you can use as a tool to bless others and to build up my kingdom. Let me close with this. Why? You guys might be thinking, why? I mean, come on, Jesus. Why do you have to keep talking about money? Why get into my business? I work hard for this money. Why? This is why. Because of the gospel. That's why. Because what does the gospel say? The gospel says 
that our God is so generous that He gave His Son for us and we don't have to pay Him back for it. That although we are indebted to Him for a price we cannot pay back, He gives us His Son freely so that He can adopt us as His children. That's what the Gospel says. And so the reason why we do this is because of the gospel. Because when somebody has received that type of generosity, how can you not respond with generosity? You see, God didn't just give you grace to be selfish. He gave you grace so that you can give grace to others. God is generous to you so that you can be generous towards others. God gives you the money, not for yourself, but that you can learn how to share it with your siblings, right? As every parent in here knows, that's exactly what we try to teach our kids. I'm not giving you this toy for you. I want you to share it with your sibling. I want you to be generous towards other people. The only reason why I'm being nice to you, Zachary and Levi, and I buy you food and take care of your needs because I want you to learn how to trust me and to be generous towards other people. God is no different with his children. That is what God is after. He's not legalistic about this. He's not demanding it as a, like a government. He's not taxing us. But what he is saying is this. If you understand how generous I have been towards you, I want you to be generous because your life will be so much more full when you learn how to be generous. You will be so much more happier when you learn how to give. You will not be consumed by money so much when you learn how to be content. God doesn't need our money. But some of us here might need to give money to God. God doesn't demand us to give, but some of us need to start giving. Because money has too tight of a grip on us. And the only way you get rid of that idol in your life, as Jesus said, pick a master. Jesus or mammon. When you choose Jesus, you get money and everything else also. But when you choose money, that's all you get. And you lose Jesus in the process. And so choose your master. I don't know where you guys are financially. I could probably guess, if you guys are similar to people in my church, there's probably some of you who are struggling in this area. Maybe you're in a lot of debt that you didn't realize and it's hard for you to get out of that debt. Maybe some of you realize you are making a lot of decisions based on money, and that's all you're thinking about. Maybe some of you realize you're going in a certain career route just for that income. I want to end by giving you encouragement and good news. The purpose of this is not to make you feel guilty, because that's not what God wants. He wants a cheerful giver. The purpose of this is to remind you of how much you already have in Christ. And to stop looking around at what you could have, and realize you already have everything you need in Christ. And once you are full with Christ, then your grips on money will start to loosen. Then you can be generous. Then you can save. And then you'll learn how to live. So I want you to encourage you. This is not something to guilt you with, but this is something to encourage you. Anybody can change by the power of God. Anybody can become generous. Anybody can become less stingy with money. Anybody can learn how to not let money master them when they come to the cross. And so I invite you back to the cross again to look at the, the price that was given to you. What you already have, you don't have to earn it and buy it, is given to you. And you will never lose it, even if you're stingy with God. He will not love you less, even if you are stingy with Him. But He will 
have so much joy when he starts to see his children have joy in being just like him. A generous person. So Shining Star, let's do that together. Let's start to be generous. Let's start to reflect the Father. Because money is not a salvation issue. Money is a reflection issue. It reflects our hearts. And if some of you have struggled, then change it. Move the money into areas God wants you to move it to. And watch your heart follow after it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for this word. And for some of us, it might be very challenging. And for some of us, we might not want to talk about our issues with money. And we might be ashamed about how we've used our money. But I pray that you will give us much grace in being vulnerable and honest before you. Lord, if we have been selfish with money, please forgive us for that. For we know that this money is not ours to have, but it's ours to manage. And that you want us to manage it in ways for your kingdom instead of ourselves. Help us to turn away from our selfishness and help us to turn to the cross. So I pray that you be a shining star, wherever they are in their financial journey, that we wouldn't view money as just this second thing, but we will understand as a sacred act of worship. And that we will make a commitment today that we will first give, save, and then live on the rest. And that we will never stray away from those principles because we no longer want to be mastered by money. Help us, give us the strength to use money as a servant instead of serving money. And let us, and bless us in this endeavor as we can bless other people, bless the church, and watch the gospel spread through the money that we invest in your kingdom. We thank you, and we praise in your son's name.